At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Summer officially here. It is hot, 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 and we are trying to keep up in that vein, in that rhythm here on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. I am TJ Reeves. He is Paulson, a.k.a. John Lewis, from the SportsMediaWatch.com website. You read him all the time. You get to hear him here on the podcast. John, good to be back with you to go over a a myriad of topics from everything from uh, the end of Wimbledon uh, to where is the Sunday ticket going to end up? How did the WNBA All-Star Game do? Uh, The British Open that will be taking place or the Open Championship in golf that will be taking place this week. No shortage of subjects to talk about this week. How are you? You feeling how are things well you know uh, it's uh summer so i guess you try to unwind and relax in summertime whether that actually does happen is another story entirely but that's what you're supposed to be doing so very true supposed to get some time back some vacation some family time yeah. all of that we fully acknowledge and understand uh, that a lot of you are out of pocket you're maybe catching up with us on episodes etc uh, later on or at some point uh, we do appreciate that. Easiest way to find us whenever there's new content on the Sports Media Watch, growing sportsmediawatch.com podcast feed is to follow or subscribe. Search for us, follow and subscribe on the Sports Media Watch um, platform here, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. cetera. So uh, make sure that you're following or subscribing and you will get automatic new content from us. Uh, My man, George Offman with Tell Me a Story I Don't Know that we brought him on board on the feed a a few months ago. And uh, I I just I want to let the audience know we are planning later in this month an encore series of some of George's top full interviews, including John Lewis, the likes of Mike Wilbon, uh, Bob Costas, uh, names that he's had like Kevin Harlan, Mike Greenberg, uh, on and on down, Eddie Olchick of the hockey calls of NBC and, and Turner uh, and on and on uh, from some of uh, uh, George's biggest names. We're planning uh, here on this feed to have an encore late in the summer here. It's like summer reruns on TV, John. We're planning on that for later on. If you haven't seen it, it's new to you, right? <laughs> I do remember that. Yeah, that was the indeed. NBC uh, philosophy. You still blew me away a couple of weeks ago. I did never contemplated that they would not touch Thursday night, even for the NBA finals for the reruns of Seinfeld and friends and ER and the Thursday night block that NBC had, they were not touching it. They were not letting NBA basketball 
And those reruns were even as competitive ratings-wise, right? It's amazing to go back and think about yeah. that in the 90s. Pretty much except for 98. 98 was probably the only year that, you know, I mean, we overrate Jordan's drawing power in the 90s. Uh, you know, something that I've said before, Jordan, that final game against Utah, most watched NBA game ever. Less than a year earlier, Cleveland, Florida, and the World Series had a larger audience on the same network. Now, granted, that was a game seven of the World Series versus a game six of the NBA Finals. But, you know, I mean, people have this idea that Jordan was out there getting the kind of numbers nobody else could get. You know, the NBA, as compared to, you know, a lot of other properties on TV, is stronger now than it was then. I mean, granted. You know, it certainly if you look at the raw numbers, you can't possibly argue 36 million right. versus, tw- you know, 14. But if you compare to the best of TV, certainly in the LeBron Miami era or the Golden State Cleveland era, the NBA was a stronger draw then relative to the best of TV than it was when uh, when Jordan was around. And again, I'm older than you, so I still remember when the NFL would hustle off of CBS with Pat Summerall and John Madden. Why? So we could get to 60 Minutes and Murder, she wrote. And the mm-hmm. CBS Sunday Night Movie, which yeah. that was that was gold for CBS for the better part of the 70s and the 80s. Not, not Murder, she wrote, per se, or the CBS Sunday Night Movie, but 60 Minutes coming right after football. Uh, yes, but now, now it's you know in the present day, those that are younger don't even realize really realize uh, that that sports uh, took a backseat to everything nighttime programming wise. No matter what sport it was, you you just weren't on in prime time when those shows were yeah. on. It didn't happen. Well, remember the first finals game that NBC ever aired, which was Jordan versus Magic, was three thirty p.m. on a Sunday, right? You know, they had to flex game four into prime time because it was originally back then you'd have the Sunday finals games for 3.30. Uh, and uh, the reality is sports today is so much more valuable to the networks than it was even back then. Because, I, you know, I, I showed, I, we talked about this on, a, on, a, on an episode of the podcast way, way back. You know, Family Ties was out there getting as strong a number as, you know, Red Sox Mets, the ultimate World Series in 86. I mean, it's it's just amazing. We we the the problem when we look back at historical ratings is we don't look back at what those numbers were in context. Yes. In context, yes. those numbers are not as impressive as they look. And I mean, I was thinking about it with like the US opening golf. I was looking back at like 1988, 89, and like it's getting a 4.5, 5.2 rating. And when you consider you can get a 4.5 or 5.2 rating for, you know, max headroom back then, right? Uh, so, <laughs> right. I mean, the reality of the matter is some of these events were really not very popular at all on TV, even though they look comparable to today. You got to keep in mind that that historical context. It is, a, it is a good point, and obviously golf changed forever, and we'll get to this a little later on in the podcast, when some guy named Tiger Woods showed yes. up, and the audience drew in by the millions more and are always there. He is still easily, and it will be the case this week, worth, John, I, I think uh, three million extra sets of eyeballs, and it may be more than that when he shows up. Three million? I, I, think, I think he is worth 
3 million more even in the present day when he shows up at these events, I I believe, because the casual sports fan knows who he is and wants to see how he does, especially right now when there's questions about whether he can ever compete again or contend again for a major championship. Now, I don't know that it will mean 3 million for the British Open in this Mm -hmm. case, 3 million more, because that's a morning time event uh, in the U.S. on TV, as opposed to the Masters, as opposed to the U.S. Open being an afternoon or an evening event. But you can't you can't tell me whatever the U.S. Open, just while we're on the subject, whatever the U.S. Open rating was uh, back last month uh, for the Matthew Fitzpatrick win over Will Zalatoris, that it wouldn't have had if Tiger Woods was there on Sunday and playing on Sunday, that it wouldn't have had, in my opinion, two and a half or three million more people watching, even if he wasn't contending for the title. If he had just been around and part of the coverage, I think it bumps up that much. My opinion. I don't think two, two and a half to three million is a lot. I mean, you got to remember when I'm talking about, we're talking about golf, you know, um, the reality is that, you know, when you're talking about an audience that outside of the masters is probably only going to be four, five, six million to begin with. Right. You know, then you're asking Tiger to lift the audience by 50%. I know Tiger is a big draw, but you also have to factor in, you know, I mean, even let's, let's, let's interrogate the Tiger effect a little bit, right? The highest rated masters ever 14.1 rating. I think that's not quite as big as it seems when you consider what the rest of TV was getting at that time. Right. So, you know, I mean, let me, my email is going crazy. So is that, is that CBS and the PGA tour and others emailing you about the tiger effect? Maybe that is what's going on on that. No. I thought I remembered, wasn't the Sunday final round of that masters, like a 19 rating or something. It was something ridiculous off the charts for the final round, the coronation round in 1997 when he won the whole thing, or maybe I'm thinking it was 19 million people or whatever it was. It was, I believe, I believe it is still the most massive, single mm-hmm. final round of anything he's done. I think that's right. You would know better than me yeah. on any, on any one of them, maybe the 2000 U S open, which was also a coronation at Pebble beach where he was 10 shots ahead of the whole field and trying to break the U S open record. That one might've had comparable audience to that 97 masters, but you would know. Well, no, cause in, yeah, no U S open is getting masters level numbers. So the masters is its own thing. You know, uh, it was a 14.1 rating. And I'm trying to figure out what the audience was back in 2000. This is for the final round or for the whole tournament for Tiger? Final round. Final, final round. round 97. Right? It was 20.26 million viewers for that mm. final mm-hmm. round, which, you know, 20 million viewers is a lot for, you know, golf. Sure. The 2000 US Open, the blowout was uh, an 8.1 rating and 11.3 million viewers. Mm. And that, yeah, that was down actually lower than the PGA that year, which is an 8.8. Um, and, you know, look, the reality is that the Masters is its own thing. Tiger didn't win in 98, 99, or 2000, and those were all double-digit ratings that surpassed any of his other wins in any major, right? So the Masters is its own entity. In fact, I think of the most watched, let me see, the, the top Tiger rating outside of the Masters was an 8.9 for the O2 U.S. Open, uh, and uh, the Masters topped that several times in fact every year 95 to 02 then in 05 when tiger won in 07 when tiger won 2010 when he came back from the hiatus 11 13 uh you know so yeah 
the Masters is its own thing. No the doubt. Tiger is a big draw, but you know, that's a combination of things. No doubt about that. In the 2000 year two, uh, fans of golf, and they remember their dramatic moments, Tiger had the playoff, the three-hole playoff with Bob May, the unknown, then his three- or four-hour coronation at Pebble Beach uh, just before that when he was up by 10 shots and smashing all the U.S. Open records. But still, he's worth a lot of attention, eyeballs, revenue, money, everything that comes with it. Uh, for that. All right. So a little more on that a little bit later on in the podcast. Let's begin with a couple of other things uh, here that are at the forefront uh, from the weekend. Wimbledon concludes again with the understanding without Americans involved in the semifinals and the finals, you know, the interest level is not going to be the same. I will say in my house with the wife, the 14 year old twins, we were watching some, including breakfast at Wimbledon both days. Uh, with this, but John, what what about the ratings? What about the coverage? Anything else that you want to add as it concluded uh, this weekend? Well, you know, let's talk a little bit about uh, you know the the star of the show, Nick Kyrgios. You know, the reality is that when it comes down to it, we're talking about every time Nick Kyrgios plays, it's kind of a an interrogation of his psychological conditions you know, which can get a little bit tiresome, honestly, at times. And now Kyrgios is certainly somebody who really needs to figure himself out. Uh, he, you know, he, he can be a little bit too reminiscent of a teenager in the way he composes himself. And of course, there's some serious stuff too, because he is being charged with assault uh, in, uh, you know, somewhere. Uh, in Australia, right. In Australia. So, you know, I mean, there's real stuff with, with Kyrgios as well. Like, you don't want to just try to pretend it's just, you know, tennis stuff. But the reality of the matter is that he's got to, you know, really, he played himself out of the match in a lot of ways, was so obsessed with the, the Love 40. Uh, and he's just, he reminds me a little bit of, you know, I'm going to say Ron Artest. Now, that's not necessarily as intense as a comparison as, I'm, as it might sound. But, you know, Ron Artest also just for a long time could never figure out what he was trying to do. Um, so, you know, I think that that's, you know, he's just got to figure out his, his, himself in his life. Having said that, I do find whenever it's a curious match, inevitably John McEnroe is calling it. <laughs> inevitably, it's just this long discussion about, you know, his psychological this and that. And it's super paternalistic and especially coming from a guy like McEnroe. Uh, and uh, it's certainly... By the way, on Sunday's coverage, they talked about him having disagreement with the chair umpire, and McEnroe even suggested he is wasting too much time and energy worrying about the chair umpire. And plus, McEnroe, I'm paraphrasing here, uh, went on to say it's a distraction, it's something else. And his brother chimed in. Patrick's on the coverage. Patrick McEnroe is also on the coverage on ESPN. And he says, you mean all the things you used to do when you were, <laughs> when you were playing? Yeah. And, and clapped back at him uh, about yeah. that. So I have two things that I want your opinion on. Number one, McEnroe a lot of times had to fuel himself with that. Be, uh, and yeah. and you, you referenced Jordan earlier in the podcast. Sometimes Jordan had to fire himself up real or imaginary that he had somehow been disrespected or needed to be extra motivated. McEnroe was kind of the same way when he played again, I'm older and I remember this. He didn't seem to play as well unless he was angry or upset or fired himself up or mad at the chair or mad at some fan or mad at the, at the opponent. Do you believe that is part of Curios's makeup that he has to have that? You don't think that's the case. 
No, it, it really seemed more uncontrolled than strategic. You know, it seemed more like he couldn't handle the emotions of being upset with himself that he blew the the, the break opportunity. Uh, and, uh, you know, sometimes people don't know how to handle that anger and redirect it to people they know are going to have their back, even if they treat them badly, like his own team. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it was it was unpleasant to watch because you just feel like you're watching someone self-destruct a bit. It was interesting because, you know, you think about all the all the all the guff Serena has gotten all of her career for two incidences of, you know, one where she over, you know, she one was plainly inappropriate where she said she was going to shove the ball down the lines person's throat. I mean, you know, you can't do that. But the other right. one, she was baited into that. The other one at, uh, in 18, she was baited into by uh, a call you'll never see made against anybody else uh, on the uh, the coaching violation. So, but, you know, those were two incidents. Uh, and the reality of the matter is, I mean, Nick Kyrgios, it's every single match he plays, every single time out. I mean, it's, it's wild. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those circumstances where eventually he's going to have to take care of that. Because you can't, you can't, you, just as a human being, you can't live that way. It's not tenable. Or he's uh, so going to unravel. Just, or he's going to unravel. Yeah. And I know what you're saying. At the highest level, he's not going to sustain. All right, another interesting one. That is such a, a stuffed shirt environment, for lack of a better yes. term. So reserved. The Wimbledon, the All England Club, etc. So this was just nails on a chalkboard for them. It had to be. There mm -hmm. was even a point in time I thought this was fascinating because I never knew the chair umpire had a bat phone. It wasn't a red bat phone like what sat on Commissioner Gordon's desk for Batman in the old reruns. But he had a phone call in the middle of one of these exchanges where Kyrgios is in, in between games going at the chair umpire. And I am positive, not even sort of sure, that was somebody from the tournament committee, the tournament committee head, somebody in charge saying to that chair umpire, do not engage him, do not provoke him, do your job, stay in your lane. Do not do not give him a game penalty, much less default mm -hmm. him. We do not want this to be the story. We do not want I'm paraphrasing right. again here. We do not want you to be the story. Why else are you calling him in that moment? Unless mm -hmm. you're saying to him, don't take the bait to the chair umpire. Right. Don't make it about you. Yeah. Don't make it about this. What, what is your thought on the behavior rising to that level where a sport that's known for decorum, sportsmanship, reserved, um, you know, pay, uh, pay close attention to how you behave. What, what about that right. part of it? Well, tennis being known for decorum is the biggest joke ever, right? Because we know it's not just McEnroe. It's not just Serena. It's not right. just Nick Kyrgios. We see these tantrums all the time. This is a sport with a lot of people with, you know, arrested development, right? These are people who are young. They are brought into this environment at a very young age. It's a, it's a child star environment. Look what happened to Jennifer Capriati and look what happened mm -hmm. to Andre Agassi. Look what happened to Monica Seles, and that was not her doing, obviously. She was stabbed by some lunatic who was supporting Jeffy Groff, you know, and the reality is this is, you know, this whole strawberries and cream nonsense, you know, uh, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, all that right. insanity. The reality is that this sport is, it's, it's, it's decorum is vastly overrated, uh, and people only seem to notice the breaches of decorum when it's someone who comes from a background they don't appreciate, whether that's Serena and Venus being African-American women from Compton, which I'm sure people were really 
not sure. Let's be real. Venus and Serena were still wearing the beads in their hair and people were ripping them to shreds. Uh, you know, that's you can go back and, and right. read the articles. Right. Uh, you know, and so people notice the breaches in decorum, especially when it's people from backgrounds who don't appreciate. It's not just racial, although race plays a huge role in it. But I suspect that Novak Djokovic being a Serbian, being from a country that is not strawberries and cream is part of the reason why people hate him so much too. Um, you know, and so uh, tennis, it's, it's, there's no such thing as decorum in tennis. It's just, it's, 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 it's well, all, it's a I fraud. Say, though, is like when the U S open happens here coming up in September, that is, a, that is not as buttoned up. That is more no. of a, Hey, you're in New York and it's the New York in your face attitude. And that kind of, it's not the same as Wimbledon. You buy me a little bit on that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, the, 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 the thought process is still the same. And, and people, you know, they notice the breaches of decorum, like I said, but it's people they don't like. But it's always like that. You know, I mean, who remembers the Martina Hingis meltdown against Steffi in the finals of the French in 99? You know, uh, this is something we've always seen. These are kind of there's a lot more Nick Curios out there than just Nick Curios, Right. There's a lot of people out there who are who are very emotionally immature, um, which happens when you are not allowed to develop normally, right? Very so, true. you know, um, so, I mean, it's tough because Curios has got real problems, like, you know, that whole assault case I mentioned, but, you know, I, I, I do find the psychoanalysis of him to be tiresome, although obviously he takes it to a different level because it's every match and it's not strategic in my view. It's, you know, the, 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 the yelling after blowing the, 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 the break point opportunity was, 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 you know, the kind of thing you see from people with real emotional instabilities. Or and adolescent not just behavior. Adolescent yeah. behavior can't handle it. Can't. Yes, exactly. Right. Grow up. Yeah. That, I did. I did think it was interesting. And I want your thought on this on the decorum too. He clearly was figuratively almost taunting and thumbing his nose at the All England Club by putting the yeah. red Michael Jordan Jumpman hat on. <laughs> he also put on the old classic Air Jordan sneakers. And then yeah. there was in the British press some coverage of, are they going to continue to allow him to do this? And then obviously mm -hmm. he continued. They didn't have a semifinal match. It was right. an odd situation where he didn't have a semifinal match. And that's because Rafael Nadal was injured. And so they call it a default or a walkover. He got to the final, but there he was in the final. I didn't notice the air Jordans, but there he was in the final putting the red Michael Jordan Jumpman logo yeah. hat, which is in clear violation. And they didn't do anything on that. It's almost like uh, they were scared yeah. of what the reaction would be if they did something. Saving money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, 
all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Well, part of it is because they have to know deep down it's a dumb rule. Uh, now, you know, rules are rules, but, uh, you know, I mean, they have to know that if they were to really go after him, they'd probably lose the PR battle because most people recognize how ridiculous it is to be, you know, making requirements of people's dress that have nothing to do with, you know, their ability to do the job well. Uh, now, that's not to say they don't have a right to have those rules. They have every right to have those rules and people have every right to ridicule them for it. So, you know, I'm sure they didn't want that ridicule. Um, you know, I mean, Kyrgios is, I mean, look, all that was immature. Yeah, he's, he's a 14-year-old boy, really, right? And the way he, I mean, I want to, I don't want to, I don't want to overstep and, and say, you know, I don't know this guy. But the way he acted reminds yes. you of, you know, a 14-year-old. You're giving credit for 14. A lot of people would say like nine with some of this or maybe seven with oh. some of this. It's not, yeah. it's not quite fingers in my right. ears, la, 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 la. I don't like right. what you're doing or saying, but it was... At times close. And by the way, I'll lay one more thing out there. Um, the coverage of it almost seemed to uh, be over the top of we we're having to show this after every point. We're having to show him during every changeover on replay of how he acted. Can we not just move on with the match? You know, in other words, we come back from a commercial. The players are on the court. The player, the players play a point. Jovic, uh, Djokovic, and um, and Kyrgios. And then we go to a replay of how he was behaving in between points, uh, in between games. We didn't show it live, but now we're showing it on tape. It was almost right. belabored by ESPN. What did yeah. you think of that oh, real yeah. quick, John? Well, their coverage of Kyrgios has always belabored. You know, every single match this guy plays on ESPN, inevitably it's Fowler and McEnroe. Inevitably, they spend half the match talking about Nick Kyrgios's, uh psychological conditions every single time for years. You know, I mean... We, we know the story. Just how many casual tennis fans do you think there are? Most people who are watching have watched before and know these players. Uh, and the reality is that, you know, look, I mean, again, it's tough. I mean, like, it's impossible to defend Nick Kyrgios. It's just rich hearing it come from John McEnroe, you know, the criticism, you know, <laughs> really, really rich. All right. To bring it up, to bring it to the final conclusion here, ratings, we have kind of an apples to apples comparison now from 21, right, to 22. Did it, I mean, no Americans, again, is going to obviously affect things. Semifinals and championship for both the ladies and the men. What about the ratings to put a bow on it? Well, men, obviously, way better than the women because the men are people people have heard of. And the women, Rebekina and Honest Jabor, uh, you, you, I mean, yes. you're not just a hardcore fan to know them. You've probably got to be on the tour to know either of those two players. So the reality is that obviously the women's final did not do particularly well. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll be interested to see what the numbers look like for the match window specifically, because right now the only numbers out there are for the full telecast uh, viewership was up uh, about 40 something percent early on with the new ABC windows. Um, you know, you also have to factor in last year, Wimbledon was going on during the NBA playoffs and, you know, doing a lot of other stuff. So it did not have the 
time to itself that it normally would. And I believe there were more windows because of the euros last year on ESPN too. So that year over year comparison is a bit skewed, but you know, I mean, look, uh, strong, strong rebound and, you know, uh, We'll see what happens uh, with Djokovic is unable to play at the U.S. Open. I'm sure he'll be unable to play, uh, which, you know, <laughs> we'll have the discussion about the, I mean, again, you know, the I guess unvaccinated people from other countries spread COVID more than unvaccinated people in America, apparently. <laughs> uh, but whatever. Uh, but, you know, Djokovic won't be able to play almost certainly. And so Nadal, with all of his injuries, hard to imagine he'll be able to play. Uh, at least the U.S. Open won't be doing the very dumb thing of blocking the Russians. Don't get me wrong. Russia is engaging in vile activities and uh, you can't dislike the Russians enough right now in terms of their government. Uh, you know, I don't think any person of, of, of halfway decent morality supports Vladimir Putin in any capacity. But blocking individual Russians from competing at Wimbledon was so dumb. And then a Russian won anyway. Right. A woman who was born in Russia and lives in Moscow won anyway. It's just a really dumb way of handling it. Uh, so at least the U.S. Open won't have that. But, you know, no one's really going to be sitting around watching uh, Medvedev versus, you know, whoever. <laughs> uh, you got to have Djokovic in the doll. Good enough on that. Let's move on on the subject matter on the Sports Media Watch uh, podcast. NFL Sunday ticket. This is very interesting. There's a little news trickling out. I want you to give me the news and then give me a look into that crystal ball and give me a thought here on something that has been a direct TV staple for satellite TV for 25 years. Full disclosure, at one point, I had direct TV for the better part of probably seven or eight years, and I had the NFL Sunday ticket. I was a subscriber. I can, t I can tell you now, working in the National Football League every week with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and with radio, I don't have a need for it. I'm not home nearly enough right. to watch it. But there appears to be, uh, it appears to be now, the NFL's Sunday ticket to see every game is going to be subscription-based somewhere else. Yes. What's the latest, John? What is your, what's your thoughts? Well, you know, all Roger Goodell did the other day was just say everything that everyone's known for months, which is that it's going to be a streaming provider. Um, he was very... Uh, praiseworthy of the streaming model in a way that I thought was somewhat newsworthy, uh, talking about it being the best way to reach younger viewers and, you know, uh, make things more convenient for consumers. Fact is, you know, how many people even have direct TV? You know, it's not 2004. Right. Direct TV, it's like if you have Netscape Navigator, you know, and the reality <laughs> of the matter is, you know, this is not the modern thing that people have, uh, you know, um, and, so the NFL has really been doing itself a disservice by having uh, Sunday ticket exclusively on direct TV. Uh, so, you know, uh, this is a move that's long overdue um, and uh, we'll see how it goes. You know, I think the only issue that I would be concerned about is streaming is still streaming. Now, of course, with direct TV, if you've got a little rain shower, you lose your signal. But with streaming, you know, I mean, it can be difficult sometimes, especially if you don't have a great internet connection. There's right. people all over the country who are NFL fans in places where they have terrible internet, you know, where they, you know, they, they just don't have the infrastructure for streaming. So what are they supposed to do? I'm sure that's going to be rough for them. And then, you know, a lot of the NFL fan base, the league is going after younger viewers. Well, guess what? A lot of your fan, ba fan base is older viewers. And what are they going to do? You know, uh, people, you reach a certain age, you're not really looking to inconvenience yourself with stuff you don't know how to do. And, you know, you're not trying to be ageist, but there are people out there who never got into streaming, never got into any of this. Of course. They, of course. You know, especially when you're talking about if you have direct TV, you probably are not familiar with streaming. If you've got a big honking 
satellite dish on your roof, you're probably not cutting edge in terms of how you're consuming TV. So this is going to be a, ba- a major adjustment. Um, I think it'll be a good thing going forward, but you know, I mean, a- Amazon is probably your best bet if, if you want to antagonize people the least because most people have Amazon Prime. Apple, as big of a brand as it is, most people I don't think have Apple TV Plus or even know how to get it. You know, you say, well, get an Apple TV. They don't know what that is. Is it an Apple TV, an actual TV? You know, they don't know. Um, you know, so that's going to be uh, a difficulty if it's Apple. If it's ESPN Plus, that's easier. ESPN you know, they can promote anything, right? Uh, you know, uh, but the reality is that Amazon, in, in my view, if you want to reduce the difficulty, that's the way to go. So many people already have Amazon Prime. And so it'll still be difficult for them to figure out, well, well how we do they should, get it on their TV? We should share this. And I'm saying this again on the front end. Keep in mind that Amazon Prime and Amazon Prime TV are two different things where you have to subscribe extra to get the TV right. channels. And that's where the NFL games are going to be. And I again, make the point to you, my friend, on this podcast, there are going to be so many people screaming because it's not on their network TV. They can't find it. And they have to pay more for it. The NFL is going to have a problem. They're going to have a PR problem. They're going to have to deal with how they deal with it is up for debate. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I do think that for, if you have Amazon prime, the shipping, you get the Amazon prime video automatically. You can get the Amazon prime video without, the two-day shipping. But if you get the two-day shipping, you get the Prime Video with it. So, so if you're paying that subscription, all it includes. I, I was under the impression, too, that you had to pay extra even for that. And will the NFL charge extra for that Thursday night well, game? Well, oh, yeah, you're right. Because it's, yeah. it's, because it's its own thing. And yeah. I'm just I'm just saying to you, there are, we have ingrained the last 10 years, roughly, yeah. of everybody seeing the Thursday night game, at least seven or eight years, on network TV. And now yeah. when... Cowboys Giants is not there when Steelers Packers is not there on a Thursday on a Thursday night on network yeah. and it's on a streaming could be a whole yeah. nother uh, ball game. All right, we're going to get to love it and love it or leave it in just a couple of moments here. A WNBA all-star game was also part of this weekend. NHL draft was also part of this past uh, weekend, some thoughts, John, just wrapping up some of the other weekend TV numbers and what was on, including uh, Red Sox Yankees was all over the place as the national game on Fox Saturday and the national Sunday night game as well. Anything else there, John? Yeah, Sunday night, uh, Sunday night baseball and MLB on Fox had a pretty good outing. Anytime you have the Red Sox and Yankees, you're certainly benefiting from their presence. Uh, WNBA All-Star Game had uh, more viewers than it normally does. It was uh, back on network TV this year and had a 1 p.m. Eastern start. You know, that seems pretty early. But, you know, that early Sunday window, you know, noon to maybe 2 o'clock, there's more value there than people think. And I think it was a good move to put the WNBA All-Star Game on it at 1 o'clock. You know, uh, WNBA is in such an interesting spot. You know, um, every year you hear about, oh, the WNBA viewership is up. WNBA viewership is always on the rise. But to me, the, you, you know, eventually there's going to need to be uh, real growth, not just, you know, PR growth, but actual growth. And what I'm talking about is, you know, you got to get back to that million viewer mark. Has been a, but there has not been a WNBA game with a million viewers since Candace Parker's first game back in 2008 against Phoenix. Uh, you know, it's 14 years now. I, I you know, to me, is uh, it a fair uh, argument Kathy, that they've reached their cap? They've reached their ceiling on what the audience can be with fragmented TV. Now that there's that uh, large of a sample size. 
What do you think? No, because there's just, I don't think so, because there just has not been enough on the, on the TV side. There's just not been enough good moves. Um, I think Kathy Engelbert is easily the best and most savvy leader the league has had from a TV perspective since Val Ackerman. You know, they had three presidents in between, uh, Donna Render, Laurel Ritchie, and Lisa Borders. And out of those three, only Lisa Borders really seemed to have any real instinct for TV. Some of this with the WNBA, by the way, it can be put at the feet of um, uh, Mark Shapiro, who was uh, the face of ESPN in terms of its executives back in the 2000s and mm-hmm. very brash. I like to imagine him as the 80s guy from Futurama if you've ever seen that episode and, you know, uh, he's, you know, he made it clear that he didn't value the NHL, sent the NHL off to, you know, versus and OLN and all that. And he clearly didn't value the WNBA. He's on the record as having said that. And those guys have all the fun and, you know, kind of went out of his way to, I mean, as someone who was watching the WNBA at the time, you noticed that the WNBA was getting worse TV windows on, on lesser networks consistently uh, you went from having the WNBA finals on regular ESPN and then network TV on NBC to having it all on ESPN too, you know, and that really the league, you know, Mark, give Mark Shapiro credit. If he was trying to harm the WNBA, he certainly was very successful in doing so. Cause I think the league really, the TV exposure that dwindled during those first few years in the ESPN ABC deal, 2003 to probably 2010, 2011, uh, the, the, the TV coverage was atrocious. And I think the league was really set back dramatically. It wasn't growing necessarily, but I think it was really set back. Uh, that was, you know, your TV partner, basically, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say sabotaging the league, but really not trying to, 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 to grow it at all. So, you know, you have that to contend with. And now, even to this day, even though you have all the TV coverage now, and there's all the self-congratulation that you see, right, with women's sports. Hey, look how much coverage we're giving. Look at the sponsorships we're doing. You know, we're still talking about, you know, a league that is principally in its playoffs going to be on ESPN2. Part of that is the league's own fault. You go into football season. But, you know, the the opportunities, if you want to know how the WNBA can max out, give me a finals that, that is mostly on network TV and before the football season starts. And let's see what those numbers look like, right? So to me, I would say the, the old slogan for the WNBA used to be all the way till Labor Day. They get the season done by Labor Day weekend. You know, maybe you have a, a, a game four of a five-game series on Labor Day. That would be on an ABC game. Then the Saturday before is college football, isn't it? So yeah, yeah, yeah right there, right off, right, right off, you're in a bad way. So, you know, but I mean, you, you've... You've got to get it done before football season. You've got to get it done on mostly on network TV. And then we can start talking about maxing out. We know that the WNBA is not like the women's college. Women's college does well enough to justify being on primetime network TV. WNBA doesn't. But, you know, if you want to if you want to congratulate yourself on how much you support women's sports, which everybody is doing constantly nowadays, then really actually do something. And maybe even if it doesn't, even if it's not justified by the numbers, Give them a shot in prime time. Give them one shot in prime time. What what else is ABC earing? You know, I mean, what if you've seen ABC's ratings? The WNBA might do a little bit worse, but not that much. 
if you really, really want to talk about how much you're supporting women's sports, give them one little tryout in prime time. If the SRX can get it, you know? Right on CBS for the racing, yeah. which we talked to Lindsay Zarniak about. Uh, just one more real quick, because the NHL is now back in the ESPN good graces after spending 18 years of doing everything to not only ignore it, but to try to damage it because it was on NBC. Oh, now we care about the NHL draft. So they were televising it. Did it resonate and go up a little bit as I as I would educated guess yeah. that it did? Yeah, it was the most watched NHL draft on record. Now, that's still less than 500,000 viewers, right? But, you know, I mean, certainly there was a real benefit from being on regular ESPN. Mm-hmm. Uh, the draft, uh, you know, it, it uh, you know, went up 70% from last year on ESPN2, um, certainly well ahead of the previous high on NBCSN. Um, it was not ESPN's top program of the day. It was not as high as the Wimbledon Women's Semis, which makes sense. Also wasn't as high as PTI, right? Uh, and PTI didn't even do all that well. PTI only had 484,000. I imagine it was probably a Frank Isola episode. <laughs> I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, um, look, the reality is that uh, up is up and it's a, it's, it's a new high. Uh, so it is what it is, right? I mean, you know, it wasn't, it peaked at 673,000 viewers. It was only the first round, by the way. So, you know, um, certainly the NHL had to be happy with what you're saying yeah. for that amount of audience for their draft. It's more than what they've gotten before. And it, it helps yeah. broaden their, uh, you know, I'm, curious broaden their the w- I'm curious what the WNBA draft got this year. Let me just check really fast. Cause I, uh, that's not that much higher than the WNBA draft. Let's see. WNBA draft this year was four Oh three. So that's very close to 457. And can we make the argument that at least there would be some hope on a casual sports fan? They have some idea who the women's college basketball top two or three that's players true. are. You have no hope of knowing really in, in amateur hockey uh, with the, uh, the Canadian amateur hockey leagues and the, and the Russian foreign leagues who any of these players are. There's no, I mean, yeah. there's no pretense that we know who any of these guys are. The teams will tell us about them right. and why they're driving. We don't know who they are. We haven't been watching them. So uh, just exactly. interesting on well, that part of the argument. Yeah. You, you got to go to very to some very specific universities in America to find any place where they care about college hockey. Correct. And again, the, there, it's not on any kind of mainstream TV per se for you to know who they are. If you're a casual sports fan, you have no idea. When they play that, just as an example here, I'm not trying to diminish – um, that they aren't that they aren't known in other places. Right. But I'm talking about in this country, they play that Frozen Four and yep. show it on ESPN two or whatever or ESPN U or wherever it, it, it airs. Uh, and we have no idea who any of those players are. You have no hope of drawing the casual fan. You're trying to educate them that weekend, but they don't know. They haven't been seeing the regular season games. So it makes sense that the draft, which is made up of the amateur players of the NCAA or the, uh, the Canadian uh, hockey league, the amateur Canadian hockey league, the name off the top of my head is escaping me, whatever that is, the European amateurs and anybody else that you're drafting and bringing into the fold, you don't know who they are for the draft. Uh, so that would make a difference on being able to televise it for sure. All right. Yeah, are, you, pretty- are you ready? Are you ready to move on? Yeah. Do you want to move Let's on? Go. Love it or leave it. Let's get into it with an official announcement from the NFL Network that Jamie Erdahl will take over on Good Morning Football on Monday morning, uh, July 25th. This had been rumored 
uh, in sports media circles for the last couple of weeks. She will, John, leave CBS and do this full time now with the NFL Network as the five day a week replacement for the uh, other female host that had been there, Kay Adams, since the inception of the show, Peter Schrager. Kyle Brandt are still there. They have not they have not ever fully replaced Nate Burleson with the same regular person. I don't know if they're going to do that for this fall. But anyway, your reaction to that and your reaction at the same time to CBS announcing that Jenny Dell will replace Jamie Erdahl on their SEC football coverage. She is now the latest person that will step into that role where Tracy Wolfson, Allie LaForce have been, and now Erdahl has been, and now it will be Jenny Dell. John, what's your reaction to all of that? Well, I got to be honest, I'm not familiar at all with Jenny Dell. Um, so, you know, um, everyone seems just like a Nesson to TV pipeline out there. You know, uh, I don't know. I, I'm not a Nesson guy, even though I've been in that neck of the woods before. I, I, I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever actually seen Nesson before, like this period. So I have I mean, I've seen know. and I've seen Jenny Dell on it. Yes, I've seen both. Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, I'm not familiar, but I'm sure she'll be fine. It's sideline, you know, most people are pretty competent at this. Um, as far as Erdahl goes, I mean, like I said the other day, you know, I've not seen, I, I don't know what her personality is, which is a, a testament to her skill, right? You know, you, you don't want the sideline reporter to be the focus of any of everything with apologies to the late great Craig Sager. Uh, he's an exception people, mm -hmm. you know, loved Sager's personality, but for the most part, you want the sideline reporter to do sideline reporting and to, you know, not to be the star of the show. Erdahl, you know, there's an episode of Futurama where uh, Hermes, the, uh, you know, voiced by Phil Lamar, he's the, I guess, the accountant of Planet Express. He's sitting in front of a brown wall wearing a brown shirt. And, you know, he's just completely blended in to the background. And, and this is not, in my view, a criticism. That's kind of what Erdahl has, does on CBS. He blends into the background. You really don't notice her. So it's going to be, and that's, again, what you want out of a sideline reporter. That's kind of the, you know, that's, that's doing your job well. Well, now let me interject. Um, like a referee. I have to interject here because I do this as part of my gigs for a living. Um, at two points. The, the first thing is I would like to make the point that at least on radio, um, there's a lot more theoretically there that you're up to because you're telling the radio audience things that are going on on the sideline that they can't necessarily see. So that's one thing. And a sideline reporter that has great information on teams, on situations can often interject, not just blend in, but interject. Let me give you a perfect example. I, I would, um, while we digress on this for a second, I would constantly go to the Buccaneer coaching staff for years. And I still do this from time to time and say to them during a week, what is a, what's a trick play that you've been working on? Uh, what is it? And just so I can be ready, if you pull it out and succeed with it, that I can talk about it. And then this coaching staff, the offensive coordinator will talk to me. Well, we've been working on the halfback pass. We've been working on so-and-so throwing the halfback pass. So lo and behold, the game comes, John, and who sounds like a genius as soon as they put the halfback pass on it, because I can tell them, that, hey, they've been working on that for the last few weeks with him throwing it to whatever different receiver. And obviously, they felt like against this team, for the Buccaneers, against the Falcons or against the Saints, they felt like this would be a great opportunity to pull it out and use it and catch it with them. So there's where the insight of that role can help. So first of all, description on what you're not seeing on radio in particular, and then the insight helps you to not blend in. 
in terms of well, TV and brown on brown, like you were talking about. Well, let me put it this way. When I say blended, I'm talking personality, right? right. So, you know, that's reporting. You're basically like the AP, you know, <laughs> but, you know, the job that, that Erdahl is doing now is more like being a blogger, you know, rather than working for the AP, you've got to have your personality. You've got to have a certain kind of brand. You can't just be an information person in that role because, you know, I mean, and maybe you can, we see how we see what, what, how thankless the role is for women on, on the other morning shows in sports, where you're just sitting there to kind of be the person who facilitates the yelling arguments between two attention seekers, whether you're on ESPN or FS1, but I don't think that's what good morning football is. So it's, going to have to be a role where she's part of it and has that personality. Now, I'm sure she's got personality. It's just in the roles that she's had, she's not had the opportunity to um, show. See, and by the way, I've watched that show much more than you have by your own admission. And Kay Adams was much more opinionated, much more engaging, take on Traeger, take on Kyle Brandt in a good way. Not that they're yelling and nobody's trying to throw furniture, come across the table, but they would have lively debates that she would engage in or she would even initiate uh, with her opinion. So let's see if some of that happens or not. And it will take some time, obviously, because I can tell you going back to the origins of that show in 2016, there, there were a lot of the first few episodes, first few weeks where there wasn't lively banter. They were trying to get their footing, trying to get their dynamic of who's playing off whom. And it took them a little while. And it will probably be the same thing here with, uh, with yeah. Jamie Erdahl in that instance. I just thought I would throw that in. Shall we move on? Do we want another? Yeah, let's let's do another love it or leave it. We did mention earlier Tiger Woods and the Open Championship. I point blank come right back to John. This is the golf final major of the year. It is the most uh, the longest tenured and the most prestigious for that reason of golf tournaments. Tiger is back. The live golfers are participating like Phil Mickelson and others. Tiger was very outspoken about the live golf tour midweek. Whenever he speaks, everybody's going to listen. John, will you be watching this even a little bit to see what unfolds? It's the 150th playing of the open championship at famed St. Andrews golf club in Scotland. Love it or leave it a little British open this weekend for you. Well, the great thing about the British Open is it comes at a time when there's nothing else going on at all. And so if you want to have any kind of live sports that's enjoyable, you might as well tune in. Um, Look, the reality is, one, I love the unmitigated goal of our British friends, the Open, you know, the championships, (laughs) Wimbledon, right? I just, it's, you you don't see that uh, at the other things. No one's going, you know, the Open, you mean the U.S. Open, you know, it's just, it's, it's amazing. But, you know, look, uh, the, the, the British Open, Tiger's there. That will give it some buzz. Hopefully Tiger can, you know, shock us all and, and win at St. Andrews and give us something to talk about, something to insist. We haven't had a time, a time in the sports calendar like this in three years because I'm not counting 2020. That was madness. Mm-hmm. But it's completely boring. Nothing's going on. You know, it's, it's been a while. So here's hoping Tiger can at least give a, a little shot in the arm here uh, with, uh, with a good performance. Will I be watching? I mean, I guess I, I got uh, a month of sling, so I might as well I'll have USA <laughs> Network, I think, you know. Um, yeah, I, I guess I'll watch. Well, you have, um, yes, you, you have that you have that opportunity too with um, uh, NBC and uh, and the Golf Channel and all the coverage. And of course, yeah. here's another thing, too, by the way, on social media. 
uh, you can almost keep up with every important shot just being on Twitter, for example. You're going to see almost all you're not you're not going to see what builds up, you know, the decision making between player and caddy, wind or not or whatever. But you'll see the important shots and the important putts yeah. just on social hey, media. They've when, gotten to the point where they're showing you 57 highlights of the final round where you can keep track of it. I, and I it, let me put it to you this way. I can often go back on a baseball game like those Yankee Red Sox games that were from this weekend. I went back in the span of about two minutes, maybe even 90 seconds and saw the five or six important highlights without wow. having seen the game. Cause you can just go yeah. back and watch. Here was the important strikeout. Here was the important ground out. Here was the important base hit. Same thing with the golf. You could spend five minutes and watch the important parts of the final round, catch the post round interview. That's the age we now live in. As you were saying earlier, different, different time with all of this, including, you know, our people's time is valuable and increasingly occupied by nonsense. So you got to figure out a way to, uh, (laughs) to, to, to work, to work those things in. I will say, um, you know, with NBC covering it, you're going to be seeing those shots late anyway. Uh, so you might as well watch them on social media since they're going to be shown a few minutes after the fact, no matter what. But, you know, I, I do think that when, when all is said and done, you know, this is a different era. You know, you don't have to sit down and watch everything live. The reason you sit down and watch something live, at least for me, is the background noise, right? If it's kind of a day you can't really go out, it's too hot, maybe it's dreary, maybe you just don't have the energy, you know, you can go out and look at a beautiful sun, sun-soaked sun uh, vista, or in the case of St. Andrews, you know, gray, right, which is what it always is at the British Open. Right. By the way, the forecast, year. cloudy temperature in the 60s, rain in the forecast for the first mm-hmm. couple of days, but supposed to be better on the weekend. But that's what we expect. That's your point. That's what we exactly. expect from Scotland in July. They should just do what the, the, the Big Ten is doing and have the British Open in California one of these years at Torrey Pines. Why not? <laughs> I mean, there's no reason why not. Uh, but look, the, yeah, the, the, you know, so, I mean, will I tune in? I probably will tune in. Just be, I mean, Tiger's there. That helps. And just because this is a, I mean, this is a terrible time of year for sports. It's been a long time. I'm glad that we're having this terrible time of year in sports because it means the calendar is somewhat back to normal. But uh, it's 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 an awful time of year in sports. All right. But you're just saying in terms of uh, variety and things that you enjoy, because there are other things like the baseball all-star game that are coming up. It's just, yeah. it, it's a lot less. There's definitely a lot less yes. to choose from another one before we're gone. Love it or leave it. I know you want to say something. We'll do a love it for the late Hank Goldberg, uh, the hammer, who passed away at the age of 82. We did not get a chance uh, to mention this last week on the podcast. Uh, Again, I'm here in the state of Florida, and we knew about Hammer and Hank, about the Hammer, uh, before the ESPN days because of his Miami sports radio roots and his Miami media roots, and then eventually he was introduced onto the ESPN2 audience, and the taboo of sports gambling and handicapping began to be introduced more on ESPN around Hank Goldberg. All right, John, what are your thoughts uh, here on uh, a guy that was definitely a trailblazer in terms of gambling becoming more mainstream, particularly football wagering and horse racing wagering, which he was big on both Hank Goldberg. Yeah, well, you know, actually, uh, so this was kind of a flash to the to the past, and I found out that Hank Goldberg had died. I mean, that's someone you, you kind of forgot that was 
always on your TV. Uh, and so, you know, I actually did not know much about his history before he died. I didn't know how big he was in Miami. Uh, I, I didn't know he was a Dolphins analyst uh, back in the day. Uh, you know, uh, I didn't know I didn't know he was a radio host. I didn't know anything about this hammering Hank. And right. you know, I, you know, I, all I knew of him was that you'd see him on ESPN every week talking about gambling. Uh, and in that role, he was part of the fabric, right? Just one of those people that you can almost take for granted. You see them all the time. You don't really think about them. But with the passage of time, you realize that they were part of a particular time when things were maybe a little bit better, a little bit more enjoyable. And ESPN of, of, of a, uh, you know, a pre-Skip and Stephen A vintage that was a little bit less intolerable, right? Uh, you know, whether it's... Uh, Hank Goldberg, or even, you know, uh, who was it? Uh, Nick Bakai. Remember Nick Bakai? Uh, Salem <laughs> right. from Sabrina the Teenage Witch. And he was on ESPN every week. Obviously, the Sklar brothers back then mm-hmm. as well, you know, uh, and, uh, I don't know. It's one of the Goldberg had an interesting where... career. And I know our guys, uh, Mike Gill and Phil DeMont Mollen were covering this. Phil, obviously, roots in South Florida, came up through um, uh, sports uh, information and, and uh, media relations in South Florida and dealt with Hank all the time and the radio station all the time. It is interesting. He was a throwback, not just as a radio host, but also as an information guy. He he would find out things about Miami sports, about the Dolphins, or about what was going on with the University of Miami and their football, or anything that was happening in the Miami sports scene. He was a newsbreaker, too. He was an information guy, going all the way back to the late 80s and the early 90s and the origins of sports radio, uh, etc. So a true personality um, there is no doubt about that. And yes, if you were a fan of, uh, how shall we say short-term investment advice for the NFL or for the horse racing, he was one of the go-to guys that was always being seen and shown in the nineties and the two thousands on ESPN for sure. On, uh, the, on, uh, uh, another surprise, he was still doing it. Um, he was on CBS sports HQ and on correct. daily wager. Uh, so he was still out there uh, really all the way up until this year. So, How about that for Hank? All right, so I think we are good. If we pretty well covered just about everything that we need to cover here in the dog days of July, we did mention baseball all-star game is coming uh, in Los Angeles. I still remember being a little kid and watching the all-star game at Chavez Ravine, and that's 40-plus years ago. If I'm not mistaken, off the top of my head, Steve Stone started that all-star game for the Baltimore Orioles at Dodger Stadium, like 81, 82, whatever that was. My God, that's 40 years ago. Steve Stone has been on TV for like 35 or 40 years since then. That's incredible. But the All-Star Game coming for Fox on on, uh, Tuesday before we're back here in with another podcast. Anything else in closing, John, before we're done? Uh, Well, I would say my first baseball all-star game was the tie game in Milwaukee. That was the first one I watched. So, you know, kind of got the the wrong impression from it, I guess, Uh, you know, and look, uh, I, I did say it's a, it's a, it's a rough time of year for sports, but there are still a few things. Uh, The big three, if you want to watch that, it actually had over 600,000 viewers this past week, which is a surprisingly large number for them. Uh, F1, you know, um, but yeah, this is the time of year where you catch up on your uh, found footage movies, uh, your found footage horror movies on <laughs> on Amazon Prime, right? That's binge that's those shows. And of course, too. NBA Summer League. 
Binge yeah, those NBA shows, summer right? Summer awesome. League is out there. You've got the tennis. You've got the golf. You've got some other things that are on. It'll be football before we know it. Uh, John, in any event, we always thank you for the time and for the insight here. We appreciate it as always. Hey, uh, no problem. We always thank you, the audience, for finding us on Sports Media Watch, the, the website, sportsmediawatch.com, on the Sports Media Watch podcast feed. Again, George Offman's Tell Me a Story I Don't Know podcast still here uh, for the summer. The Mets announcer with a Chicago uh, background, uh, Wayne Randazzo, is the guest this week. Find out how Wayne went from doing single-A baseball as recently as eight or nine years ago to being in the New York Mets booth very quickly, uh, now doing New York Mets broadcasting. It's on George's podcast on this feed. Tell me a story I don't know. And again, Mike and Phil with the uh, Announcer Schedules podcast. John uh, Mark Kestisher of ESPN, one of the announcers that will be on their podcast this week talking about the NBA on ESPN Radio and all the coverage uh, that he does nationally for ESPN Radio. So he's a guest on the Announcer Schedules podcast later in the week. For now, we are good. Make sure again to follow, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Anything else, John, in closing here? And if you wanted to sneak in, ESPN officially putting Levy Riddick and Dan Orlovsky as its alternate Monday night football team. And uh, there is so, uh, you know, Buck and Aikman, I guess, were able to really get the terms of their deal exactly as they wanted because they're not going to do either preseason game. They're not going to start till week one. So Levy Riddick and Orlovsky will get the two preseason games, which I'm sure... You know, I mean, I'm sure they get paid for them, right? So at least, hey, why not? Uh, although I don't know too, how many people really want to ever do a preseason game. <laughs> Laura Rutledge is also part of this group as a sideline reporter. They'll do Titans Bills in week two, the ESPN game. Uh, Buck and Aikman are doing Vikings Eagles on ABC that night. They'll do the Broncos Jaguars from London, which, you know, is exclusively on ESPN+. Plus. And they'll do, uh, I imagine, the lesser of the two week 18 games, January 7th. Uh, so, you know, there you go. That's a solid three regular season games, five total. Um, you know, it's not the greatest, but it's still technically Monday night football, right? So, yeah, good for them. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that pretty much wraps it up. And credit to Buck and Aikman for skipping the preseason altogether. And with that, we are good. We're back next week with another edition of the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. 